Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works COVID-19 update. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. The pandemic has changed so much about how we do everyday HR tasks, and one of those tasks includes workplace investigations. Um, a combination of aspects about the pandemic have, in all likelihood, hampered workplace investigations, uh, particularly with so many employees being at home. Um, the kinds of bad behaviors that they might require investigation are out of the immediate view of employers. And then, you know, when you need to actually investigate them, they aren't in the office. You can't just bring them in for a conversation necessarily. I'm sure there are a lot of other complicating factors. We have a, uh, with us today an attorney to discuss this issue um, and sort of what it looks like, what we can do about it, and some things to be aware of. We're pleased to have with us Andre Caldwell. He's a shareholder at Ogletree Deacons in Oklahoma City. Mr. Caldwell began his career as an assistant United States attorney in the Western District of Oklahoma, where he was assigned to the Violent Crime and Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. During his tenure, he was awarded the FBI Director's Award from FBI Director Robert Mueller for his outstanding prosecutorial skills. Just prior to joining Ogletree Deacons, Mr. Caldwell was a shareholder at one of the largest and oldest law firms in Oklahoma and was an active member of the Criminal Defense Compliance and Investigations and Litigation and Trial Practice Groups. Mr. Caldwell utilized his wealth of trial and investigative experience to represent private and public companies of various sizes in all aspects of commercial litigation, preparation of compliance guidelines, and conducting corporate criminal risk assessments. Thank you, Andre, very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, why don't we set the stage? Um, workplace investigations weren't easy to begin with. Um, what makes it different now? Uh, yeah, um, you're right. They weren't easy to begin with. It requires a great deal of organization uh, of you know scheduling witnesses, sitting down with them in person, trying to extract information so that you can uh, make sure you've thoroughly investigated the complaint and then come up with some sort of result uh, determination and or recommendation. And that's been a bit complicated, if you will, by the pandemic, just given that, as you said in the intro, you got people in different places. You have people who aren't coming into the workplace uh, as frequently. Uh, you've got those who are um you know, concerned about the pandemic. And so while some people may want to appear in person and be interviewed, others want to make sure you're wearing a mask or sitting six feet apart. So um, there were already a number of organizational tasks that you had to take into account when uh, setting up and uh, executing your workplace investigation. And that's just, you know, this is another added layer in our current circumstances. One of the things that that you wonder is, you know, with so many people being home, is there a reduced need for workplace investigations? Is that your experience? Uh, I have certainly not seen a reduced need for <laughs> investigations. In fact, there's probably a uh, greater need for investigations. Keep in mind that although uh, we've traditionally associated harassing activity and, and other uh, policy violations with being uh, associated with being in place and being in person together, uh, this 
circumstance now where we're working remotely, where uh, we're interacting on Zoom meetings and team meetings, actually create another risk. Uh, we've always heard of cyberbullying and internet bullying before, and you know that's no different in the workplace context. It, it's kind of funny that you know I've worked with our cross border practice group, and they routinely conduct these remote investigations because it's not as easy to get overseas and interact with employees uh, around the world. But seemingly on the domestic side, uh, this has increased over the number of uh, months here this year in 2020 to do more of these remote investigations. And I've found they've been very, very effective. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about remote investigations in particular. Um, I guess, how are they similar? How should you treat them compared to how you would treat an in-person investigation? I would certainly say you treat them no differently. Um, You're still going to want to get the witness uh, as comfortable as possible so that you can obtain the information you need to conduct your investigation thoroughly. What I would say is different uh, potentially is the idea that you might have tech issues, right? Uh, Your internet goes down. Uh, Some people don't want to appear on camera. That's a comfort Mm -hmm. level issue. Um, You don't know who else is in the room, whether it's actually a confidential interview. Uh, We've seen earlier this year about Zoom bombing, uh, about people who can access your Zoom meeting and, and you know, thereby potentially intimidate or harass or even just destroy the confidentiality of the interview. So, um, they can be done the same in practice, but like I said, in terms of preparation and sort of these uh, these extra ideas and, and, and things that you have to think about, it requires a great deal of planning to make sure that you have everything ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of interviews in addition to the podcast episodes, and there have been a couple of times where I forgot to hit that record button. Um, you know, we usually have backups of some sort, but... You know, that's the kind of thing that I guess you could forget in person, but might be a little bit easier to forget or or you think you're recording and that recording never, never works out. Like in Zoom, sometimes if it's not your account, if you're using like the department's account, you may not have controls over that and you may not realize that until you get in the interview. Are, are you seeing things, troubles like that? Um, so it's funny you mentioned the recording uh, because I typically do not record my interviews, but you're right. If you're going to consider recording it, you got to think about what state the witness is currently in. I mean, I'm in Oklahoma. I'm in Oklahoma City. Uh, we're a warm party consent state. But if I'm interviewing a witness in California and I choose to record, I've got to ask for their consent. On the flip side of that, think about whether the witness is recording you. How many times have you had someone come into an interview they don't really trust the process. I'm a lawyer unconnected to the company. Uh, they don't know what I'm going to ask them. They're they're uh, you know concerned that they've now been pulled into something, and so they want to protect themselves. How can you truly determine whether they are not recording you, uh, that they don't have a copy of what you guys are, are saying during the interview? So there's just so, so many considerations. And I'll tell you, I've been the victim of several technological difficulties in the past. I've had the internet go out. Uh, I I did an investigation in the Democratic Republic of Congo earlier this year, and the cell phone signal and the Wi-Fi signal was so terrible that we had broken interviews. And you know, if you break the momentum of an interview, sometimes it's hard to Mm -hmm. regain that. So there, there are just so many distractions that can occur in the process. But uh, again, it's still an effective way to do them. Uh, they've been 
conducted effectively. I've had success with them and, and I certainly encourage them. I think we're going to be in this this uh, particular circumstance for some period of time. And there's certainly no reason to dispense with uh, investigations because we can't be done in person. Yeah. So other than making sure that you have your, your legal ducks in a row, you know, whether you're recording or not, making sure that you have permission to do an interview or something like that. Um, what are some of the things that interviewers, um, investigators can do to minimize these kinds of difficulties? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I tend to do is make sure the witness, like I said, at the outset is comfortable. Uh, are you a comfortable appearing on camera? I, I like to see person, uh, people during the interview because I think that non-verbal cues are also critical to the analysis of whether a witness is being truthful, whether um, there's some concern that might be lurking about with respect to the investigation. So uh, I try to establish it from that standpoint. But, you know, I've since sort of moved away from my absolute demand for on-camera interviews because some people are not comfortable and it can stunt the interview. And I've had some success with telephonic interviews or Zoom interviews without a camera. It seems that uh, individuals can be more forthcoming if they're not staring at you from across the screen, right? And so, um, you know, it's just a, a number of things that, that need to be taken into account in, in doing that, and that's certainly one of them. And then, you know, beyond that, uh, taking notes, that there can be so many distractions in conducting a remote investigation when it's done on some sort of technology medium because, I'm looking at the waiting room. Who's in the waiting room? Is my volume appropriate? Did I see a kid run across the background on the camera? I mean, you, you got to make sure that you are focused on the task and that you can keep up with the information that's being provided to you, take good notes, uh, and again, just fully execute to make sure you reach the desired result. Um, so let's talk a second about the the location where people will be interviewed you know, you mentioned earlier, there might be kids there, there might be other people out of frame. How can an investigator make sure that they're talking to a person by themselves, uh, or in a, in a way that they have control over who's actually participating in the interview? Absolutely. So I, I tend to start my interviews with sort of the ground rules, the admonitions. And one of them is talking about the confidentiality of the interview. I want to protect the integrity of it. I want to make sure that no one's listening to our conversation. And I want to tell you, because we're in this together, that no one is listening to my conversation. Oftentimes, I will have a witness uh, sort of pick up their computer and scan the room just to show me that no one else is in there. I will point blank ask them if anyone else is listening. Um, I will advise them to or ask them to advise me if someone comes into the room or onto the camera uh, during the interview so I can make sure that we pause for that period of time. Um, it's a matter of controlling your technology. Uh, if I have the Zoom account, then I'm going to have a waiting room so that someone cannot just pop in there, uh, that if a password does get shared, that I control who is in the interview. Uh, with respect to a telephone conference, you know, typically I will put a conferencing line in uh, that I control and I can hear the beep if someone else joins so that I can promptly address that issue. Um, so it's really just a matter of planning from that standpoint. I mean, no, nothing's foolproof. Uh, you're not going to be able to thwart every possibility, but you certainly put the protective measures in place to uh, avoid those issues from occurring. Mm -hmm.
Well, thank you again so much, Andre, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Listeners, please check back next week for the next episode of HRWorks COVID-19 Update. You can always follow us on Twitter at HRWorks Podcast to say hello or give us suggestions. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HRWorks.